Um, okay, so this morning we're in a sermon series on Corinthians, and um, if you have missed any of the past sermons, go check them out on the website. We are getting to a part of the book that's going to be more familiar with for, for you guys. I know when I preached on 1 Corinthians 5, you guys were like, what? This is in the Bible? <laughs> and now we're getting to the part that probably you've heard some things about. Last week's sermon, this week's sermon, and next week's sermon are all going to go very tightly together because it is going to be when Paul is doing his theology of community, which is one of the most important parts of Corinthians, and it's one of the most important practical parts for us. And so if you missed last week's sermons especially, you might want to go check it out. I'm going to be drawing a lot from that, and it's going to be pointing toward next week's sermon. Next week's sermon, we're doing the chapter the one that you know from every wedding that you have ever attended in your entire life. It's the love chapter. Um, But it's going to be taken in the context of the theology of community, which is where it was originally preached to begin with. So uh, this morning, we're looking primarily at 1 Corinthians 12. But I want to do a quick recap of what I've kind of skipped over. So last week, we did 1 Corinthians 8. And there are a couple chapters in between where Paul addresses some particularities and he he addresses some, the reason I'm not doing a full sermon on them is that he addresses themes that we've already kind of covered and he prepares for themes that we're about to cover. There's also a whole section on head coverings in there, so if you want a one-on-one on that, we'll, uh, we'll go get coffee sometime, but I figured I'm not going to preach an entire sermon on why we're not doing head coverings right now. Um, but part of what he has in there is another insight into what the Corinthians are doing wrong. And what the Corinthians are doing wrong has, takes place at the Lord's table when they come to celebrate communion. And this happens before the section we're going to read today. This happens in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, some of you go hungry. Some of you get drunk. Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? And so what's happening is when they are celebrating, it looks like there's some economic difference within this community. And like all early churches, these were house churches. And so it looks like there were some people, well-to-do people, who were invited to basically a dinner party at which they also celebrated the Lord's Supper And then the people who came later kind of got the crumbs of what was left over. And the people who were there earlier were already drunk from participating in the Lord's Supper. And Paul is saying, what are you you talking about? In fact, he uses, he goes so far as to use this phrase, if you eat and drink without discerning the body, you do so to your own I forgot the word. It's either damnation or detriment. It's a very strong word. You do so um, uh, at your own peril, basically. And what he's saying is what you are doing here is more than just not inviting people to a dinner party. What you are doing here is actually not understanding what the body of Christ is. And that's going to launch us forward into 1 Corinthians 12, which is where we're going to pick up today. And this is the most explicit exposition of the body of Christ that we see in the New Testament. And there are a couple different moves here, and we're going to start 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. 
Jews and Greeks, slave and free, we were all made to drink of the one spirit. Okay, I want to point something out to you, because this is very, very important. In Paul's logic, once you are baptized, once you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are in the same moment brought into the community of the family of God. Those are not two separate moments. There is not an individual salvation and then a corporate salvation. There is not a, I said a prayer to Jesus, and then I decide to join a church. It is the same movement. Because for him, it is a change that takes place over and above what you have chosen for yourself. Now, in our day and age, we put a whole lot of emphasis on what you and I choose. And that's, that's not entirely a bad thing. Our choices are powerful, and we have to remember that. But what Paul is saying here is that when we are baptized, by our choice, we are baptized. We are brought into the, the family of God. We come forward, we confess Jesus Christ is Lord because the Holy Spirit is within us, because the Holy Spirit is doing something within us. At the same moment, we are brought into the family of God. And the image is very much like you are being adopted into a new family. And you might not like all your cousins, and you might not like all of your new brothers and sisters, but it doesn't make you less of a part of a family. You can go to a family reunion and dislike the people there and still be a part of the family, right? And what Paul is saying is the same movement brings you into the part of the family. Now, why is this important? We talked about this last week. God's answer to the brokenness of Genesis 3, whereby humanity became little isolated individuals acting isolated from the rest of each other and from God. God's answer to isolation and loneliness is the church. God's answer to the epic aloneness of the world is the church whereby people are drawn from their own isolation into community. And what he's saying here is that happens at baptism. You stop becoming a little individual floating around doing your own thing when you become a baptized member of the body of Christ. Because whether you like it or not, whether you know it or not, and whether or not you go to the family reunions, you are a part of a new family. You are different. You are a part of the family of God. You have been drawn in to this thing called the body of Christ. And in a cosmic sense, you are no longer alone in the world. You are no longer an orphan. You are no longer floating, doing your own thing. You are a member of a family, a part of a body. This is very important. Because the fact that you are already this means that there are no more decisions on your part to be made other than how do I act? It's not am I going to join this family? It's how do I behave at the family reunions? Does that make sense? Okay, so let's see what he says here. So going on, he says this. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say... Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So you see what he's saying here. You can't go off and say, I'm not a part of the body. I love Jesus, but I'm not a part of the body. Paul says that's like saying, I'm a foot, but I don't like the rest of the body. So I'm just going to go do my own footy thing somewhere 
and ignore all those annoying hands over there. And it doesn't work. Because I am not a hand, I do not make a part of the body. You can say that, but it would not actually make it a less a part of the body. Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Wouldn't make it a less of the part of the body. You can think whatever you want to think. But in actuality, the spiritual reality is this. You are bonded. You are tied. You are connected. You are a part of the overarching community called the body of Christ. You are not alone, even if you sometimes want to be left alone. You are not alone. You are a part of the community. And then he, he goes on and he says this. He says that this is a good thing. Because, and this is, what, this is the argument he's going to make. Because, in fact, we all need each other. Now he's going to say, I'm going to unpack this. He says that in a lot of ways, but that's the summary. Because, in fact, we all actually need each other. This is the way he says it. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? The whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Which is to say, if you yourself, in your own brilliant gifting, were the entirety of the body of Christ, boy, would it be lacking. Because everything that you have to offer is still just what you have to offer. Right? If me, if I go off, as my own individual, glorious, brilliant, independent self, and I am all of the body of Christ, boy, is it lacking, because all that I have to offer is still not enough, is still not sufficient. So underlying this is a point that he's made a little bit earlier, which is this, every single person, when they are brought into the body of Christ, is also supernaturally, spiritually given gifts. And so this analogy, the eye is given the gift of seeing, the ear is given the gift of hearing, the foot is given the gift of running, the hands are given the gift of doing all of the work, so it is you and I, human beings across time, across space, every human being that has ever been brought into the body of Christ, whether it is in Africa, whether it is in Latin America, whether it is, was 2,000 years ago, whether it was yesterday, whether it was, it was when you were in summer camp as a kid, or whether it was your grandmother sitting in a revival, whether it was in this country or another country or at this time or another time, every single person who's been brought in the body of Christ has been given a gift. And that gift is real, and that gift is for the purpose of building up the body. And so when he says this, this, this image of the body, if all the body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? So if all of the if everyone were preachers, no one would ever get anything done. Because they'd just be talking the whole time. If every <laughs> that was hilarious, Josh. Um, if everyone were workers, there'd be no one to teach. If everyone were teachers, there'd be no one to learn. If everyone were, you know how this goes. You know how this goes. Like, you've heard this sermon before. What I want you to hear is the particular context in which the sermon is placed. That is your 
role in the family of God that binds you to people you know and that you don't know that is true and that is real whether or not you know it. Your role in the body of Christ is to be whatever you have been called to be, to discern and utilize what gifts you have and to use them for the building up of this body that is bigger than you will ever know and yet no less real. And so, Paul says, if I, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? As it is, God has arranged the members of the body each of them as he chose, and if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. And this is the most fascinating part to me. This is the one, this is the part that I think really speaks to our culture, if we will let it speak. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor. Okay, let's unpack that for a second. Because we've got, we've got his logic, right? His logic is you are baptized, and because you are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, you were given a gift, and you were united with these other people. And in this united, being united with these other people, you together are going to exercise your gifts to build up not only the body of Christ, but the kingdom of God, the new creation. Let's not forget what we're talking about. This is heaven meeting earth through the church. Heaven meeting earth when God, through the Holy Spirit, uses all of these believers together to use their gifts to build one another up. And now this very last part of the chapter, Paul He's been really snarky the entire chapter so far. Now he gets even extra snarky because he says, he takes another turn. Not just that you are to use your gifts for the building of the body, but you are in danger of missing the entire point if you focus so much on your gifts that you ignore your need of other people's gifts. And so what he says is this, if the eye were to say to the foot, I have no need of you. That's ridiculous, right? So all of us think that we have parts of the body that we need or don't need as much. I mean, everyone, if, if you were given a choice between like your eye and your big toe, you choose your eye until your big toe got cut off, right? <laughs> you would notice it then, and that's his entire point. His entire point is your whole body actually needs each other. And, and, you find the fullness of what God is calling you as a community to do and to be when you discover your need for each other. Now, the reason I say this is the most important part for our culture and for our society today is because you and I live in an era and in a culture and in a world that idolizes independence, and it's not all bad, it's not entirely bad. When I grew up, it was a good thing that I got my driver's license. It was a good thing that I moved out of my parents' house. It's not a bad 
thing. It's not a bad thing to get your own job and become financially independent and stand on your own two feet. But you know what our culture does with it? Our culture tells you this. Your worth is in your ability to not need anyone else. Your worthwhileness, your ability to be an adult, your ability to be a grown-up, your ability to be mature in this world, stands with your ability to not need anyone. And it's great to help people. Sure, help people as much as you want. But the minute you start needing someone, you are weak. The minute you start needing someone, you're a child, you are immature, you are lesser. You are someone who needs to be helped and not among the strong who are there to help others. And Paul comes along and says, in theological terms, hogwash. Hogwash. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. When you are baptized and you are given a gift, you are given a gift. And man, you are going to be so satisfied when you get to use it. You are going to be so joyful when you get to use it. Life is going to click into place when you get to use it. You are going to finally feel like you know what you're supposed to be doing on this planet when you get to use that gift. But you know what? If you think that is all there is, then you are going to wander off on your own path and you are going to be like the hand standing off in the middle of nowhere saying, I don't need the rest of the body because boy, look at how well I can be a hand. And what Paul says is this, the only way this works for the betterment of the world, for the spreading of the kingdom of God, is if you acknowledge your need for the gifts of others. Even as you acknowledge the gifts that you have. And if the eye were to say for the foot, I have no need of you, it's ridiculous. And if I were to say to you, I have no need of the gifts you have to offer, it's ridiculous. It's not true. It is speaking a theological falsehood. It's speaking a spiritual falsehood. If a preacher were to say to a minister, to a servant, I have no need of you, it's ridiculous. If a teacher were to say to uh, someone putting up drywall, I have no need of you, it's ridiculous. It's laughable because it is theologically not true. We were created to be in relationships that are mutually dependent on each other. And it is only by acknowledging and living into our mutual need of each other that we're going to become this thing called the body of Christ. Now, what does that look like in a practical, on an everyday level? It means that even as we cultivate our own spiritual gifts, we always have an eye out for what we don't have. And we have an intense gratitude for the people who bring what we don't have. Because we are aware that what God is doing, he's not just doing it in me. He's doing it in everyone. You remember that story when Jesus fed the 5,000 using the loaves and fishes of the little boy? 
What Paul is saying is that every, Jesus is still doing this work and everyone out here in this body are the little boys and he's going to use something of this person and something of this person and something of this person and something of this person. And if we ever get to a point where the pride of our own spiritual gifts becomes, gets to the point that we do not recognize our need for others, then we have left. We have gotten off the boat. We've veered off course. We are outside the realm of what the New Testament calls theology. I have a, my, my question for you this morning is this. How much do you need? How much do you need, people? That's an uncomfortable question, right? Because if, if you're a grown-up in this world, the answer is, I don't need anybody. Right? If you're a grown-up in this world, especially if you have made it, if you have been successful, the answer is, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. I need Jesus. I need Jesus to get me through. And what Paul is saying in this is, you're never going to know Jesus's grace until you learn the spiritual reality of being able to rely on the other people that God has put around you. When I was young, it was a good thing when I got my driver's license. And it was a good thing when I moved out of my parents. It was a very good thing when I moved out of my parents' house. Very good. It was a good thing when I got my first job. I want to tell you it was also a good thing when this happened. Out of college, faced with my first church, in a situation that I had no idea what on earth I was doing, and I went home and I sat in my parents' living room and I said these words, I need advice. I need help. And my parents, who are like gold medal advice givers, they do it really well. They didn't overdo it, but they gave me what I needed. And that was the first time, I think as an adult, I mean, they had always offered to help before, but in a way that I didn't really want because I was independent and I was successful and I was doing my own thing. Thank you very much. And that experience of sitting in their room, asking for help, receiving it, was my first step back into the picture that Paul is painting for us here of a body of knowing what I had to offer and knowing what I didn't have to offer, of knowing what giving all I had to give, but acknowledging that there was a point where I needed to step back and point to others and ask and need, and not seeing that as a sign of failure, but as seeing that as the way God works. Because you know what some of us do? We go off in those moments when we have been given a need and a desire, we see it so much as weakness that we go off and we pray to Jesus. Right? So instead of going into someone's room and saying, I need help, I need advice, can you help me? We go off into a corner, we pray to Jesus, we say, I need advice, I need help, can you help me? And sometimes he does, and sometimes he says, I gave you help, go ask for it. Because when Jesus shows up in the body of Christ, it is these arms that are Jesus' arms. It is these words that are Jesus' words. It is this service that is Jesus' service. It is this community that is the presence of Christ on earth. And if we lean on Jesus, it is going to mean leaning on the community. 
And if we are not willing because of our pride or our stubbornness or what we have misinterpreted as independence to do that, then we are in some respects pushing away Jesus because we are pushing away the community he gave us. If I am an I, can I say I have no need of a foot? Absolutely not. It's ridiculous. And so what does the I do? The I is a great I, but then the I also realizes when the time comes to let the foot do what the foot does. And in recognizing its own need, the body is able to function together. And how does the body function together? That's where next week's sermon is going to take us. And so what I want you to do this week is I want you to think about how alone you feel in the world versus how connected you feel in the world. I want you to think about your sense of independence versus your sense of need. I want you to think about whether you know what part of the body you are and whether you are living in good relation to other parts of the body. And I want you to get ready because next week we're going to conquer what holds all of this together. The greatest of these is love. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, Almighty God, you have drawn us into your body. You have drawn us together in union and in fellowship with believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit and gifted across time, across space, across culture, across language, across custom. People who don't look like us or think like us or act like us, yet we are all part of the same body because there is only one Spirit and one Lord of all. And so God, right now, I pray that each and every person in this room would know their place in that community. I pray that each and every person in this room, if they do not already, would know the gift that they have been given and the role they have been given to play in that community. And today, I pray that each and every person in this room would know within their heart of hearts their need for the people of God because their need for you is filled in their need for the people of God. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill this room. Fill our bodies. Fill this community. Draw us closer to you and closer to each other that together we may be a witness to the world as they look at us and say, look how they love one another. This we pray as we say together the prayer our Lord taught our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.